Hey, everybody. I am Stephanie Goss, and this is another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. This week on the podcast, Annie and I are answering a great question that came in through the mailbag from Dr. The Earth is Round. They are struggling with what to do when they have clients who just don't seem to believe in science. Now, I know that the world has changed and shifted under our feet exponentially for all of us in the last few years. And yet this is not a new problem. I think all of us think immediately, at least I did, when I read this question of like, oh, what do we do when clients don't want to wear masks, right? Because we're in the middle of a pandemic spike when they won't follow our protocols for keeping the team safe during the pandemic. And that is true. And yet the more Andy and I talked about this, the more that I realized that we've always had clients who don't necessarily seem to believe in our science or our medicine, who doubt when we make recommendations about vaccines or flea preventatives or heartworm meds, things like that. And so the question from the doctor of the earth is round was really simple. It was, how do you talk to these kind of clients? I thought it was a great one and Andy and I really had fun. So let's get into this one, shall we? And now the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me, Dr. Andy Rourke and Stephanie. I'm a believer goss. <laughs> Oh, I like that one too. That's oh, a good one. Yeah. How's it oh, going, Andy? It's good. Uh it's it's good. I uh can't complain too much. Um I think homeschool is finally going to uh be over and my kids are gonna go back to actual school uh in the very near future. So that's good. Uh-huh. Yay. Um, we'll see unless we get freezing rain tonight, which is which we could. A and possibility. Then we'll be just stuck again. But yeah, no. I'm good. Uh, yeah, I, I cannot complain. Looking forward to a lot of exciting stuff we have coming up. You and I are kicking off our strategic planning course as we record this. Um, mm-hmm. Next yep. week is the first of four. Yeah, we're going to be talking about setting up a strategic planning meeting and how to how to run a meeting like that. Yeah. Um, and then we've got three more sessions after that. If people want to check it out, you can head over to unchartedvet.com and uh, and learn about those sessions and jump in on them. Yeah, the cool part is when this comes out, we'll be um, halfway through it. But the way we set up with this uh, workshops this year is that they're individual ones. So if we will have a couple that are still left after this episode comes out. And if you're interested, you can sign up for them as one off versus having to do the whole uh, the whole series. And if you are Uncharted members who are listening to this, you can always access uh, the copies in the knowledge library after the fact. So you can watch the sessions uh, on demand. So. The ones that should be left are evaluating your employees, and that's number three. So that'll be the, the one coming up when this episode comes out. And then uh, dashboards, yep. setting metrics to drive your practice. So those are the two that will still be available if you want to grab them. Yeah. So yeah, but that's not what we got in here to talk about. No, we've got a good one today, and it's it's so funny because um, we got an, we got an email, and this uh, when I read it, I was like, oh, this makes perfect sense to me because the whole world is tired. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and uh, frustrated. And we had a doctor, uh, the doctor, the earth is round, <laughs> sent us an email uh, and is struggling because they have some clients who just do not seem to believe in science and they are really struggling with what to do with people. And they gave us some great examples. What do I do when clients are angry that I ask them to wear a mask during a significant local pandemic strike? What do I do with the clients who tell me point blank that they don't think vaccines work? Um, What do I do when we have clients who only want to do things that are quote unquote natural, uh, like giving pets uh, or dogs antlers to chew on for their dental health versus the dental recommendations that I'm actually giving. They are kind of at this point where they feel like I don't know what to do with these people. I want to talk to them. I want to try and engage with them. And I don't know how. Yeah. And I just thought this was so great because I think this is a problem that all of us face at some point or another in terms of interacting with clients because this is not a this is not a new problem, right? Like I, I think back to when I very first started in veterinary medicine, and there's always been those clients who are like, I don't believe in using chemicals on my pet, so I won't use flea control, right? Like mm-hmm. they, it's it's been around the whole time, yeah. and I think that there's a lot of that happening right now because we have a lot of people who are dealing with people who are seemingly disbelievers about science when it comes to the pandemic and the current state of the world, and so I think. Yeah. 
there's a lot of people struggling with this who are tired and are like, I just, I don't even know what to say to those yeah. people. No, anymore. I agree. I mean, it, this is this is tough, but it's not going away. Mm-hmm. And so we should accept that it is what it is. And there are a number of things that we can do about it. And so yep. I, I'm super glad that we got this question. Uh, I am super ready to break it apart and talk about what our options are and how do we uh, address it. I think we have to start first with why is it happening. Okay. And, I, and I think you did a good, a really good job of talking about the fact that this is not new. Mm-hmm. I think the volume has been turned on, up significantly. Yep. I think there's things that are making this more um, in your face uh, than it has ever been before. But it's not new. There's actually, I saw some research this morning that talks about it's been the last 40 years that people have uh, been increasingly persuaded by statements like I believe and I think and I feel and decreasingly persuaded by phrases like our results indicate and we conclude. Got and it. and I, I think it's just fascinating, uh-huh. but it's generally this idea of how I feel and my emotional response has gained value in my in people's minds and and what the data shows has lost value in the in the the researchers who put this on uh, tied it together with a number of signals of increasing individualism in our society, meaning as people have gotten more and more individualistic and focused on themselves and their experiences, what the data show means less than what they believe or what they see with their eyes or what they hear. And so this is a 40-year trend. So I think that's the first thing is just this is an ongoing rise of individualism. The second piece of this for me is that we live in a world where everyone has a voice and there's good parts of that and there's bad parts to that. And uh, there's a lot of people who call themselves experts. In fact, everyone calls themselves an expert (laughs) at some point. And when everyone's an expert, no one's an expert. Right. And we just have so many voices, especially when you talk about pet health care and taking care of pets. There are so many pet experts and some of them are great and mm-hmm. some of them are not. And mm-hmm. the average pet owner has no idea after all who is who. So it's better just to be skeptical of everyone. Sure. And so we've we've bred this skepticism and experts because we've all seen quote unquote experts who don't know what they're talking about. And if it's not in in vet medicine, it's in fitness, it's in nutrition, it's in finance uh, or or personal investing. And these people get platforms and they don't know what they're doing. And and, and it it sours people on the whole sort of expert system. And that's that's why uh, the researcher says that we've seen people losing faith in experts because it's easy to be an expert now. Um, The traditional credentials you need to have are long gone. There's Dunning-Kruger. And I love Dunning-Kruger. Dunning-Kruger is a psychological phenomenon that says, um, while we expect that people's confidence in a subject increases with the time they spend in that subject, uh, Mm -hmm. that's not true. What we find is what's called the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is when we pick up a new area of expertise or interest, we have a massive surge in confidence. Sure. This is like people who go and do a couple of hours of reading on the internet on a topic and suddenly they could lead a college course in their own minds, you know? Right. And then so Dunning-Kruger says that we get this surge of confidence and only later do we realize what we don't know and our confidence comes back down and we start to actually rebuild it uh, because we actually have real expertise. But Uh that big initial spike is where a lot of people live when they come to the vet clinic because they have gone online and they have looked at their pet and what they think is, is good for their pet and they have grabbed onto some information or some content and they believe that their understanding is much, much greater than it actually is. And mm-hmm. so they come in with very strong opinions, with confidence in their positions and things like that. And, and we have to deal with that. I think that that's a new problem. Mm-hmm. It's a much, it is a new problem because pet owners didn't used to go to the library and get right. fired up. Like now it's, it's the abundance of information at people's fingertips where they, they can dive right in and, qu- and, and find anything they want and quickly become a quote unquote expert. Uh, in their own mind. So we're seeing Dunning-Kruger uh, bringing that that confidence in in a big way. Yeah. There's the attention economy and the availability heuristic. And we're talking a lot of psychology here because this is important to kind of understand how we got here. So uh, the attention economy is the modern economy that we have that basically says if it bleeds, it leads. Sure. Um, it's uh, all of the financial drivers for 
news outlets for uh, for media outlets. Mm-hmm. They're on eyeballs and advertising and keeping attention and keeping you on their platform as long as possible. And it is not hard to figure out which type of content keeps people on platforms and which gets them to engage and comment and share and right. uh, and respond. And it's emotional it's emotional content. It's things that make you afraid and mm-hmm. things that make you outraged. Unfortunately, more so than making you happy. We know that that uh, content that makes us mad is the most effective content in getting attention and keeping attention. And so we see a lot of very upsetting content because it generates advertising dollars. Sure. And so that's particularly hard for us as vets because there's also this thing in our brain called the availability heuristic. And so the availability heuristic is our mental preference for stories uh, and especially recent stories over data or facts. You know, think about, I always say this, I talk to a room full of vets and I'll say, raise your hand if you have used a medication, which is a common medication, and you have had a scary side effect from it in one of your patients. And they all raise their hand. And I say, raise your hand if I could convince you to 100% trust that medication again by showing you data. And no one raised their hand. Sure. And it's because once it's happened to you and you've seen this scary thing, um, you hold on to it. And it carries a lot more weight than theoretical data. Well, we've got this economy, uh, this attention economy, where pet owners are are covered in scary stories all right. the time and they remember them like their mind is made to remember the scary stories and so they come in and they hear about the time that the pet uh, that somewhere in their area somewhere in the country right. there was a pet who got flea prevention and exploded right. destroying a car <laughs> and uh, half of a neighborhood you know what i mean like you go that's right. insane but they heard that story and boy, they remember it because they had given their pet the same flea medicine until they heard that story. And I can show them all the data I want, but man, that uh, that availability heuristic, they heard the story, they were scared by the story, they hold on to the story. Sure. Uh, that's a problem. And again, because of our economy, there's a lot of those stories. And the last is is tribalism, right? And, and we talked about this. I think we talked a bit about tribalism in uh, in our last podcast when we talked about the, the, uh, the cowboy technician we uh-huh. uh, we talked about how fitting in is really important. And this mm-hmm. is caveman wiring. Like we are all made to not be shunned from the tribe because to be cast from the tribe is to die in starvation. And, you right. know, never pass on your genes and, and just starve to death. So we really do not want to be casted out of the tribe. And so tribalism is uh, is a thing in our genes. And boy, tribalism is on the rise today. Um, there are tribal signals and and, uh, and positions that people take. And I hate, I hate to say this, but I think we've all sort of seen it. Um, science has become a bit of a political position, you know, in, in some in some ways. And I hope it doesn't continue to go in that direction. But um, but boy, when people's tribes center on believing in science or not believing in science, those are powerful drivers. Yeah. And so uh, anyway, I just gave you a laundry list of things, but those are the biggest things in my mind. And they all kind of converge and you can see how they would sort of be increasing over the years. But those are the things that I believe are driving this steady decline in, um, I don't know, in in the willingness to accept facts when people come into our exam rooms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I I mean, all of that makes total sense to me. And we, we've seen an increase, all of us, in our personal lives of this or our professional lives or both of this happening. And so I think, you know, we're we're going to start where we always do with, with Headspace. And I think the biggest thing for me, like when I read this and thought about it, and I think it's very easy, especially as a veterinarian, I could hallucinate or as a technician who has gone to school and is educated mm-hmm. it's it's very easy when a client is like I don't believe that I don't think yeah. the vaccines actually work it's so easy to internalize that and take it personally yeah <laughs> because yeah yeah to take yeah. it as a as a as a uh, well you know so I hate to say it, but we're kind of tribal too right right 
And so right. we are the science tribe. We are the, we are the the vet medicine tribe, the healthcare provider tribe. And so when someone says, "I don't believe you," it kind of feels like an attack right. on our tribe. And you know, and, and and then we don't want to get cast out of the tribe either. And so there's a status thing of like, "Are you calling me a liar? Are you questioning my value?" And people can get real down this hole real fast because they're like, "I gave." eight years of my life <laughs> to get the education and experience to tell you that you should vaccinate your dog for yeah. parvo and you're looking at me and telling me that i'm wrong because you read a blog post somewhere and it's easy to 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 take that in a deeply personal yeah. way it, it also hits on like our feelings of rejection. Like none of us, want, we all, every day, we suck up our our shyness. You know, we, suck, we, we, we put on our confident faces, but there is some part of it for all of us, I think, that when we go into the exam room, at some level, we, are, we fear rejection because mm -hmm. we're making this recommendation. Sure. And that feels a lot like rejection and it hits us at a, in, a, in a hard way. Yeah, no, I think that's totally true. And it's really easy. I know I have I have done this. It's really easy to go from zero to 60 in terms of combative language. Mm -hmm. and, and, and you know, they're attacking you. And so the caveman piece of your brain is like, why well, should attack back? And so as scientists, what do we do? We reach for yeah. the facts. We reach yeah. for the science and use that as our weapon to come back at them, which is the totally wrong tool yeah. to, to use. It's like fighting with a Nerf gun. Yeah, like right. they're, like they're unaffected <laughs> by this ammunition. Right. So I think, I think from a headspace perspective, that's where we really have to start is like, okay, this is where we all have to collectively take a deep breath because taking it personally, whether it's personal against me as an individual, like you, you don't believe me and that's making me angry, or it's you're not like we are a community of scientists. How could you not believe us? It's really important to not take that personally. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. But but uh, so so that's that's the first step of headspace. You got to You got to. Mm -hmm. You've got to not take this person. This is not about you. It is about them. Right. And like some of us need to tattoo that on our forearm so that we can glance down and see it. It's not about me. It's about them. And when they come in and they don't believe in vaccines, it's not because you're not credible. It's not because you're not smart. It's not because you don't do good work. It's not because you are not a clear communicator it has nothing to do with you. Mm -hmm. Like it was this was this was decided when you were not there and it has been engraved and there may be some some, you know, some cultural tribal, you know, supports uh, pushing this person's direction. Who right. knows? It does not have to do with you. You did not cause this problem. You did not benefit from this problem. You are not responsible for this problem. This problem is not about you and you can't take it personally. All that said, we got to deal with it. And we will, yep. but if you're gonna, if you let, the, if you take this culturally, you're toast. You're dead in the water. This is not going anywhere. And so, man, headspace, headspace, headspace. It matters so much in this conversation. And most of us, um, one of the the biggest things for us is not is not getting triggered. Mm -hmm. There's that old saying that a buddy of mine said years ago, and it became one of my go-to phrases. Uh, you can be righteous or effective. Choose one. And so if you want to go to battle to defend science and the honor of science, you can totally do that. Or if you want to deliver wellness services to this pet, you can do that too. But you can't generally do both. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so decide if you want to take care of the pet or if you want to fight for <laughs> science and facts. Um it, it, it's up to you, but uh, but it's real hard to do both. I have thoughts about that, but I think they come in the solutions. Okay. All right. <laughs> we'll, so, okay. So we'll, we'll put them in that. Uh, I'm going to put it in that. So, 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 so we'll leave it there. So, so, but how, how do we, how do we not take it personally? Uh, yeah. I believe that people are innately good and that is mm -hmm. a mental exercise. I'd said this at, at talk at VMX and this young doctor goes up to me and says, I really like that you say that you uh, choose to believe that people are good and that you deeply believe it. And he goes, 
how do you do that? <laughs> He's like, I really struggle to believe that people are good and they and they do these things. And I go, yeah, I trust me, I, I see it. You know, I believe that people are, are driven by natural selection and, and these deep psychological drivers and, and they have needs that are trying to be met and everyone's fighting a battle that we don't know anything about. And I believe all those things. But I'll tell you what, buddy, at the end of the day, sometimes I just have to accept it on faith. Like just, mm-hmm. just as like a religion where it's like, I can't see it. I, you know, sometimes I question it, but I accept that people are good. Like a lot of people accept religion is true. Um, mm-hmm. It To me, I, I choose to believe it. And mm-hmm. and sometimes you got to work hard to believe, but I, yeah. but I believe and I, I recommend it. I recommend it. It makes life better and easier if you can, if you can choose to believe that. I think something that helps me um, and I, I learned, I learned this lesson painfully and the hard way um in in my past in in working with um uh some bosses is that it if you say that people are truly innately good um which i also believe it's one of the things that you and i have in common in terms of values but i think for me part of it is sometimes i can look at someone and if i say they're just kind of self-centered like it's Mm -hmm. it's about them i it's easier for me to wrap my brain around that and think about it from that perspective sometimes than it is to look at that person and think this person is an innately good person because sometimes it is hard to think this to not not take it personally right and in the moment when especially in the moment when you're angry and you're staring at that client in the exam room Sometimes it's easier for me to just look at them and say, what if this is not about me? What if this is all about them? That is a little bit easier for me to wrap my brain around than like, I do truly believe that this is a good person. Because sometimes in the moment when you're staring at them, I don't think that they're a good person, even though I do believe that, right? Because when you're triggered, it's hard to reach for that. So one of the things that I have had to do is look at it and be like, maybe they're just being a little self-centered right now. You know, maybe this is really about them or their pet or their lifestyle or their, you know, like a million other things. And that exercise becomes becomes a little bit easier for me. Yeah, I, I agree. And I push that, I push that even farther. The thing that really helps me with this is, you know, I believe that people are formed by natural selection. I believe that millions of years of natural selection have made us into the creatures that we are. And if natural selection is the driver, natural selection wants what? It wants you to survive and to pass on your genes and to maintain your status in the community so that you can take care of your offspring and raise them up so that they will pass on their genes. Sure. And that is what it cares about. And so being self-centered is not a flaw if that is the driver. It's a feature. It's a strength. It's a strong point. So I will say not only do we have to be okay with people being self-centered? I think you just need to own that it is baked into every one of us that we are self-centered. We are looking out for ourselves and our immediate families for the fundamental uncool uh, idea or goal of passing on our genes to the next generation. Mm-hmm. And so self-centeredness is baked in. And, uh, and honestly, by accepting that, that makes the good part a whole lot easier for me to take. Because I'm like, I do believe that everyone is self-centered and they can also be good. And so when I see people acting in a self-centered manner, I go, oh, this is a good person who has a self-centered nature that is coming out now and that I'm that I'm seeing. Right. And so for whatever reason, for me, that just that acceptance, it, 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 it helps me to it helps me to see this person as a human being and not just to dismiss them as this person's an idiot. And, right. and I say that because that's what a lot of us think. And that has popped into my head. And it's easy to dismiss people, right? Like, honestly, because when I start to feel challenged, if I can dismiss this person as an idiot, then I don't have to listen to their criticisms or their comments or to figure out how to deal with them or feel or, or and I can forgive myself if they walk away and don't do anything for their pet because they're an idiot. Um, so there is a challenge. There, there is a there is a a a call to to write people off. Mm-hmm. And, but ultimately, you know, it's it's. It gets real lonely if you start writing everybody off and it yeah. gets easier and easier to write people off. And so it's, it's a balance, but acceptance is key. Um, it's just it's absolutely key to effectiveness. You know, the the other key I'd put in your headspace is, is you got to know your objective, right? Is your objective to change the worldview of this person or is it to take care of their pet? 
And I, I mentioned that earlier, but those are two radically different things. And it's just important when I say that, I say, you know what, people are innately good, um, innately self-centered, but also innately good. And it's not my job to affect this person's worldview or even to make them believe what is true. It's my job to take care of their pet. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to meet them where they are and play with the cards they deal to me to try to get the best outcome for their pet that I possibly can. And then I'm going to go on with my life because it's not my job to raise this person. They're not my child. They're, <laughs> they, they don't, you know, they're not my spouse. I, I don't, you know, I have zero responsibility for them. I'm going to meet them where they are. I'm going to behave with integrity. Uh, I'm going to advocate for the things I think are best. I'm going to try to say them in a way that this person will hear and take action on them. And then I'm going to go on with my life and I'm not going to worry too much about it. And I think that that is really important because that that is the bridge for me to the action steps, which is uh, part of it for me is can can I provide care for their pet? Like, do it, is this a fundamental disagreement on everything or is this a disagreement on one thing? You know, am I still having the opportunity to provide care for their pet? Because to me, if if we agree to disagree on one thing, but we can find some common ground in the middle, then I think your point of I'm going to go on with my day. I'm going to do what I can for this patient. I'm going to do the best that I can as a doctor. And then I'm going to move on. That is an easier space to get into headspace wise. I think where a lot of people struggle is with what do I, what do I do? What do I actually do Mm. when it's not just one thing, right? Like what do I do when the client is truly starting to tie my hands? Because it's all the things. It started with, well, I don't believe in flea preventative and Mm. here's the conversation. And now to your point, everybody's worldview is kind of expanding in that way. What do you what do you do when it's that way about everything? And so that for me is the bridge to headspace because I from headspace to action is can I can I find anything in common with them? Can I can I bridge the gap in any way? Because if I can, then I can try and move forward as a professional. And if I can't, then I think knowing that it is okay to say, I might not be able to care for this pet, truly, because I can't, we can't get on even the same page on one thing. And so the best thing for this patient may be for them to find a veterinarian who more aligns with their worldview or their their thoughts about the care for their pet, because I feel like I can't actually provide that care. And I think from an action step perspective, that is something that a lot of the time we struggle with as veterinarians and as as members of the veterinary community is being okay with saying mm-hmm. maybe I can't help this person. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because yeah. we think we have to help everybody. And sometimes that ties our hands too. Yeah, I, I think that's a great place to put a button on headspace is you have got to get okay with the idea that you cannot make people do anything. Mm-hmm. You cannot change their mind. You can't you you just don't have power over people and um and some of them might not they might not be your clients and that's okay right because you can't be all things to all people so yeah. let's put a button right there uh okay. and take a break and then we'll come back and get into the action steps sounds good hey stephanie gotts you got a second to talk about guardian vets yeah what do you want to talk about man i uh i hear from people all the time that are overwhelmed because the phones never stop ringing Um, And I'm sure you you hear from these people as well. You know, like our caseload is blowing up and the doctors are busy and uh, the phones just don't stop. They never stop. (laughs) That is a true story. I'm amazed by how how few veterinarians know about Guardian Vets. This is a service where you have uh, registered technicians uh, who can jump in virtually and help you on the phones. You can flip the switch and uh, Guardian Vets can jump in and take some of the load off the front desk and they can handle your clients and get them booked for your appointments and give them support. And it really is a godsend. 
pre-pandemic, it was amazing to me how many people hadn't heard about it for after hours call help. But at this point, I can't believe how many people don't realize that they are offering help during the daytime as well, which I would think right now is a huge benefit to practices because everybody is shorthanded. Everybody is drowning in phone calls. And so we talk about it. We've talked about Guardian Vets a lot on the podcast. And every time we do, we always get somebody who says, what is that? <laughs> Guys, if you're not familiar with Guardian Vets, if you think that you could use some help on the uh, on the phones or up the front desk, check them out. It's guardianvets.com. And uh, if you mention our podcast, me and Stephanie Goss, uh, you get a month free. So check it out, guardianvets.com. Hey. Hey you, what you got happening on your calendar in March? Because the Uncharted Veterinary Community has lots of things coming up that I don't think you're gonna wanna miss. First up in March, we have an awesome workshop by my friend, Dr. Saya Clement. Saya is gonna be talking about client curation with us. She's gonna teach us how to learn to identify the types of clients that you want for your practice And then what are things that you and your team can do to attract those kind of clients specifically? It's happening March 13th at 12 p.m. Eastern time, 9 a.m. Pacific, and it is a two-hour workshop. So put that on your clinic calendar, take a lunch break, go in late for the day if you're here on the West Coast. It is $99. It's free as always for our Uncharted members. And you can sign up at unchartedvet.com forward slash events. And then in the back half of the month, on March 24th, my dear friend, Brett Canfield, is doing a presentation that I am super pumped about. He and I are going to do some tag teaming on this. I am his wingman, moderator, and I am so excited for this because I went to Brett at the beginning of the year and said, hey, you are the person that comes to mind when I think about this topic because you live this and you help teams breathe this. And I want to bring this to Uncharted and to the veterinary community at large. And that is the idea of more than an EAP. What can we do to make wellness happen in our practices? Brett is going to talk to us about the benefits of programs like EAPs. But beyond that, what are some ways and things that we can do to create sustainability for our teams? Again, this is a two-hour workshop. It's $99 for the general public and it's free for our Uncharted members. It's happening on March 24th at 2 p.m. Eastern time, so 11 a.m. Pacific. So this one will hit my West Coasters lunchtime and mid-afternoon for those East Coasters. It's a two-hour one. So again, make sure to check out unchartedvet.com forward slash events for all of the upcoming events and registration. And I want to take a quick second to pause before we head back to the podcast. I have to show some serious gratitude to our friends at Banfield Pet Hospital. Andy and I have wanted to do transcripts for the blog for a while because we've had multiple colleagues reach out to us and say, hey, I've heard great things about the podcast. I would love to listen, but this is not accessible to me. And while we were trying to figure that out, our friends over at Banfield stepped up and said, hey, we see you and this is something that fits our values and our culture as a practice. We want to increase diversity and inclusion in veterinary medicine, and we would love to help with that. And so they stepped up in a big way and are sponsoring all of our transcripts for 2022. So if you know someone who hasn't accessed the podcast because there weren't transcripts available previously, send them to unchartedvet.com forward slash blog. They can find all of the transcribed um, podcasts for 2022. And uh, they can also find out more or you can find out more about all of the things that Banfield Pet Hospital is doing to increase diversity, inclusion, and equity in veterinary medicine. And now back to the podcast. All right, let's get into some action steps. I really love what you were saying about um you know, not being able to to serve some people. And, and if things continue to mount up, maybe this is just not the right client for you. I one of the things I think unfortunately we have to we have to put forward, and a lot of people haven't thought of this, but but I really think we're at a place in the world where you have to be intentional about your approach to dealing with polarization and with people who have strong worldviews that maybe anti-science or don't or don't align with yours, right? And so I really, I think we've got three choices about how we work as either individuals or as practices. Uh-huh. And the first is um, you can choose a tribe. <laughs> like, I, you know, you can say, this is what we believe and we believe in science here. And this is, we do, we trust the data and we talk to the data 
and clients who don't like that are not going to come here. Yes. Like they are going to come in. They are not they're going to they are not going to like what they see or they are not going to feel persuaded and they are going to probably leave and go somewhere else. And we're OK with that. And I'll, I'll give you a great example of that. Sure. Um, I I think um, a really easy one for people to wrap their heads around is the idea of pets being vaccinated for rabies. And we know the scientific value behind that. And as leaders of a practice, I have a job to do, which is to protect my team. And so when I have pets who come in for procedures and stuff and they are not current on their rabies vaccine, if someone gets bit, that is a risk factor. And so in in, in prior practices that I have managed, that has been our uh, worldview that has been like our line in the sand. And so we have we have said, OK, in order for a patient to receive services here, unless unless uh, you know, they are sick and a doctor is saying for this reason, we're not going to vaccinate them today. But in general, our rule of thumb is if they're not vaccinated against rabies, we can't keep them for an optional procedure. Right. So that was our line in the sand. And I remember when we started doing that and talking about it with clients and there were a lot of clients who like lost their mind and they're like, well, I don't I don't want my pet to be vaccinated for rabies. Mm-hmm. And collectively as a team, we said, we understand that and we understand that is absolutely your choice to make. You would be better served. You and your pet would be better served somewhere else. And we're okay with that. Yeah. And we were okay with clients going somewhere else. So I think that that's a that's an example of one one thing, but yeah. it was really like this was our tribe. Our tribe was our people and we felt like that was the thing we could do to protect ourselves and each other. And so we said, here is that line in the sand. Yeah. And so yeah, I think a good way to put it is is we have a line in the sand. And, and and here's when this works. It works pretty well when you're in a fairly homogeneous demographic area and you can say, oh, we believe that the vast majority of our clients are in this tribe or that, you know, or they believe mm-hmm. in this. And, and this is we serve in an area where the vast, vast majority of our clients are on board with this. And that's not a big deal. It mm-hmm. gets much harder if you're in a split area where people have different uh, different beliefs, you know what I mean? And you're going to run into half the people who are not in alignment with what you think uh, medicine should be or how medicine should happen. The other the other stressor that I've seen with this is with the staff, which means if I say this is what we do and this is how we do it, and I have members of the staff that don't agree sure. with that, um, you can lose staff members over that. Mm-hmm. And and that doesn't mean you shouldn't necessarily do it. I mean, if you right. say this is our belief and this is how we practice this, who we are, and one of your technicians says, I'm not that person and my right. values don't align with what you're saying and how you're saying it, that may not be bad that that staff member is going to leave um, right. and, and you can do it. So that's option one is to say this is who we are and we're going to attract the clients that resonate with us and be okay with the clients who don't resonate with us going somewhere else. And, mm-hmm. and you have to get your team on board with that, right? Uh, option number two is ignoring the whole thing and just being who you are and seeing what happens. This is my least favorite of the options. But this is a lot of people out there who are like, we don't want to make a stand. We're right. just going to try and try to do our best. And um, we're going to often they end up kind of not really resonating strongly with anybody, but also not really turning anybody off. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they are constantly kind of reacting to what they're getting back from their clients. And so right. it's kind of indecision is a decision at some point. And then the last part is you say, um, I'm going to focus on meeting clients where they are and matching my presentation to their priorities and, and beliefs. And you make that choice to say, we, we, try, we try to be open. We try to meet pet owners where they are and support them based on their priorities. And so we lean very much into a hard customer service model, uh, just accepting that they might not agree with what we believe in and we're gonna have to use their words to agree back to them. So those are are sort of the three options. you know, it's funny. I think a lot of people immediately go, well, the first one's what I want. I, I only want to see people who believe what I believe. Right. And I go, well, there's there's truth to that. And there are some clinics that I know who do that. And they send as many signals as they can as you come, you know, this uh-huh. is what we believe is what we do yes. here. And that, that can be really, really, uh, it can be a fun place to work. And you can work with clients who share your ideas. And that can be great. A lot of other practices don't have that luxury of uh, of serving people that just match exactly with their clinic culture and they have to flex. 
And so right. anyway, I, I put that forward just because a lot of people have never given that any thought at all about what they're trying to do and who they are. And what's sad is you, uh, you can end up tripping over yourself in a lot of ways and making stands in some places and not making stands in other places and sort of sending confusing messages and no one in yep. the staff really knows what your lines are or what's supposed to happen and and there's all this kind of are we saying this and what do we say with that yeah. and how does this work and do we care about this what about that and and it, it can just be kind of a jumbled mess yeah well and i think that i think that uh, unfortunately in veterinary medicine i think that there are far more there are far more hospitals on the on the end of the spectrum where they just try and meet everybody where they're at and don't don't really have a whole lot of clear lines. Then there are practices who are like, this is the type of client that we are going to serve. And this is the only type of client that we're going to serve. Right. Like, I think mm -hmm. most of us are in the middle or towards that end where we we aren't really doing that. And so I think mm -hmm. the cool part is, is that there is a lot of room in, in my opinion, there's a lot of room for us to do some more cultural, um, b some more building of a culture for clients. That is a concept that is kind of radical for a lot of people. It's like, well, we're here to serve anybody who walks through our doors. Yeah. Well, are we like, I, I don't, I, you know, and, and I don't, I think it's great if, if that is how you feel. I know for me, like I probably want to be more towards the middle. Like I want to develop, kind of an intentional client base and I'm okay if we have some clients who are going to do what they're going to do and don't don't aren't a values alignment but I would rather work in a place where we had more of a values alignment with clients than we didn't um that that's is appealing to me right and so I think that I think that for a lot of us we have opportunity to think about the concept that it is okay to say I want to develop a client base that matches or has more similarities to who we are as a team and what we believe and set some of those rules and parameters in place because I really truly believe it's okay to look at a client and say I think that your pet would be better served somewhere else for this reason right like yeah. if, if I have a client who truly does not believe a word that is coming out of my mouth I could continue to try and work with them and get frustrated over and over and over again. But at some point, you know, when you do the same thing over and over and over again, that's your business model. That's the culture that you're creating. And that is, for me, an exercise in frustration. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that there's I think that there's truth to that. Um, if you if you set your practice up the right way and you communicate what is expected and what your standards are and what your mm -hmm. wellness protocols are and you Yes. Uh, present them as this is our plan for today and this yes. is what we do here. A lot of times you don't have to be the one who says to the client, most of the time you don't have to be the one who says, I don't think this is a good fit. They're going to see. Self-select. That's yep. not a good fit. Mm -hmm. I, I'll give you two examples from different sides of the spectrum that I have seen in my career. And I'm not speaking negatively about e either one of them other than say they are very different. Right. Um, you and I have uh, friends who run a practice in a very urban area. Mm -hmm. And they fly a rainbow flag out front and their mm -hmm. staff has got every everybody there has got a different color of hair mm -hmm. and they've got tattoos, mm -hmm. uh, you know, fully exposed and everything. Yep. And that is who they are. And yep. that, that is what they are. And like, it's great. And their clients love it. In fact, they draw uh, probably more clients because they're like, this is who we this are. Is and this we are. is what mm -hmm. we do. And people are like, I'm here for it. Yep. And so like putting that out and being like loud and proud this is who, this is who we are this is what we do um for them it it's not a flaw it's a feature it's a yes. plus it's an attractor yes. and there's people who would see that and be like that's not the vet for me that's yep. fine go somewhere else um mm -hmm. and then i have another practice that i've i have seen i've been to and i walked in and they have um there was like a i don't know to say this the right way but they were a faith-based practice like yep. evangelical mm -hmm. they had mm -hmm. bibles on on the the side tables and they mm -hmm. had a cross up on the you know on the wall and and they 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 prayed on their cases and they did that stuff they seem to be a very good hospital like from a mm -hmm. medical standpoint mm -hmm. and they were very kind and very nice to work with um but like like they again they were loud and proud about who they were right. and what they cared about and they were slam busy you know yeah. and they had people yeah. who i'm sure again saw this absolutely as it's not a flaw it's a feature this is right. who they are other people would say well that's not a vet for me and that's yep. that's okay yep. like we're all got plenty of work there's there's great power in saying this is who we are and sending those signals and so again I, I think that that i think strategically there's a lot of power in that 
yeah. I want to switch uh, the conversation a little bit here to, to going from the practice level down to the individual level and sort of saying, well, what do we do when this mm-hmm. person, when we're talking to this person mm-hmm. in the exam room? So I think I think that's the long play is sure. sort of setting up who we are and communicating that. But, but what do you do when you go in, in the exam room and the person is there and uh, you quickly come to understand that they're not on yeah. board? You know, yeah. I, I had a client say to me, I don't, understand I, I don't believe in vaccines and i was mm-hmm. like they're real i've got them in the back <laughs> <laughs> she didn't think that was as funny as i as i did i thought i thought it was funny I thought it was a really good line i mean fair point right like <laughs> what do you what do you do when that client is standing in front of you yeah. and says I, I don't believe in vaccines. Yeah, I, I think for me, and again, I, I thought your question earlier of like, what do you do when these things mount up? And you go, I don't believe in this and I don't believe in this and I don't believe in this. And at some point I go, I don't feel like I can help you mm-hmm. because you disagree with so many of the things that I provide. At yes. some point I can say, look, I don't think I'm a good vet for you. And yes. I think that that's the right answer for some people is to be like, look, you don't agree with what we do here. Yeah. Um, you should, you should go somewhere else and i think i do think that that's true for most of it's it, uh, what i tend to see i rarely see somebody who's like i don't agree with this and this and this because those people just don't come in you know at some point they're like i don't see value in you and i'm like why did you come here then um so i, I don't see this nearly as much as I, as I see the people who have a thing they yeah. have a yeah, thing yeah. they're that's, like that's I've been, true i've been reading on this you know it, it's it's often nutrition is a big one that we right. see you know what i mean uh flea and tick stuff uh heartworm prevention can be a thing yep. i don't want chemicals you know and again yep. uh, looking at these people with compassion is 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 absolutely is absolutely critical but yeah. generally we, we see you know we see there is a thing and and what helps me the most with these cases is to set realistic expectations and i think a lot of us feel this pressure on ourselves of you came in here and you don't agree with something that that i'm recommending and so i'm going to try to spar with you and see if i can debate you into doing what what i'm asking you to do and I'll just be honest and say, I, generally, that's not possible. Mm-hmm. You know, like they, if they come in and they look at you as soon as you walk in the room and say, I don't believe in this, like the chances of you getting them to go home and be compliant with that thing that they said to you when you walked in the door is zero, in my mm-hmm. opinion. I mm-hmm. mean, I can't, I don't see how you turn that around today. I think the answer is in the long term of let's work with what we can. And I am going to listen to you and make you feel heard. And I will talk to you about why I recommend what I recommend. And I'm going to listen to your concerns and take you seriously. Not with the idea that I'm going to change your mind today, but in the idea that I can hopefully build some trust with you mm-hmm. and we can start to build a relationship. And in a year or two, five we might be able to have this conversation in a way where you and I have trust in our relationship and you'll hear me. Or mm-hmm. we have this relationship and something will change mm-hmm. in your life and you will feel very differently. And I find that often, guys, that is the window or the door that opens is that something happens. You know, people, um, they make they take a position and then something changes in the world, something happens, uh, they have a pet that gets heartworm disease, uh, and then suddenly they have sort of a, they look at things very, very differently. And now they're open to having this conversation about the rest of their pets, you know, and things like that. And I don't want it to get to that, but sometimes that's what it takes. And then that door opens up and we have that relationship and I can get in and I can, I can really work with this person and move them where they want to be for the rest of the life of this pet and for all the lives of their future pets. Yeah, I I think, it's really what you said is really important in terms of understanding what they what their priorities are and uh, what they think like why making them feel heard that is yeah. a really important piece of it and it's also i think for most of us as human beings the hardest thing to do when we feel challenged right is to sit back and truly hear somebody else out. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where we have to reach for all of those exam room tools that we learned in school um, (laughs) to engage in active listening, to ask them more questions, to be, to, to truly listen to what they're saying. Because for a lot of us, the switch gets flipped. And the first thing we do is stop actually listening and start planning our reply and the yeah. thing we want to say next because we're we're triggered. And so I think, you know, we, we talk about headspace a lot on the podcast and talk about getting in that safe headspace. And so I think this is similar to that in 
it is really important to make people feel heard to actually truly listen to them and employ your active listening skills. You have to repeat back to them what they're saying. You want to take probably take some notes and write some things down because mm-hmm. you want them to feel like they are being heard. That is the only way that then I think you can take a step forward that is going to be productive in any way. Yeah. While, while you're doing this, like while you're listening, while you're taking notes, you should be looking for things that you can agree on mm-hmm. and you should be putting forward everything that you'd agree on. And you should be telling mm-hmm. them, I think, I think you're totally right about this. That, that mm-hmm. you know, that's important to me as well. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I totally hear that. And, and the reason is because, and this is just healing uh, divisions between people. If there's a chasm between you and me and we're both just staring at the chasm, then our uh, ability to come together is zero. But if we can look up and look around the landscape and see the rest of the landscape, that's not a chasm, but a nice, you know, homogeneous uh, landscape, it turns Mm -hmm. out we can walk around the chasm Mm -hmm. because we have raised our heads and looked at everything else that's going on and things that we agree on. The same thing is here is say, well, I might not be able to close this chasm today, but there's a lot of other land on the landscape that we can walk around on. Mm -hmm. And that's that's where I'm going to spend my time today. And and again, build that relationship and build that trust. But yeah, as we actively listen, focus on what you agree with, focus on what they've got right, focus on the things that are good. And you'll probably figure out that 85% of the things that you talk about, you guys are simpatico on. And that's enough to start to build a relationship and and build trust. And if you look around and it's 25% of the things that you guys agree with, that's probably a bad fit client who's never going to be happy Mm -hmm. where you are. And the sooner that that you realize that and they realize that, probably the happier everybody's going to be. But yeah, I I completely agree. It's active listening to understand their priorities. Uh, One of my favorite things, we talk about nutrition a lot and... um, and people have strong dietary opinions or, or things that mm-hmm. they do. And it's easy. <laughs> people, will, yeah, people will hear this and they'll be like, well, why do you, why do you feed them that? Or, you know, that's not really not what we recommend. And I go, that's, a, that's the wrong way to approach this. You know, the right way to approach this is to say, help me understand why that's the, the way that you decided to go. Tell mm-hmm. me how, what's important to you about the diet that you feed. I just want to know what your priorities are. And then just listen to them and they'll tell you what their priorities are. And then we can have an, an honest conversation. Again, I might not be able to change their opinion today or their mind today or probably not. But now that I understand what's important to them, I can start to have those conversations in a subtle and ongoing way and kind of reel them in. But it's going to take some time. But yeah, what's important to you? What are your priorities? What do we agree with? And uh-huh. if I can get those things out on the table, a lot of times I can come pretty far as far as providing a good overall healthcare experience. Even if I don't get the thing, I can often get everything else. And that's a whole lot better than if I had detonated the conversation, destroyed trust, and really not been able to do anything for this pet. So it's a long game, you know? Yeah. I think um, one of the things that's really important to me in, in making that long game assessment, you know, you said something about, is this, one thing that they're disagreeing with and is this the first time and and to to getting to that point where you have said okay we are repeatedly disagreeing on all of these things and so maybe this is not the right fit client and how do Mm -hmm. you make that assessment and this is where you know just just like stephanie says what's in your handbook this is where the manager and me says this is why i have protocols and processes to document all of the things when it comes to client communication, because the only way that you can truly assess, is this a one-time thing? And a one, one thing that they don't agree dis, one, that they don't agree with? Or is this all of the things? The ability to look back at the chart and say, well, the last five years in a row, we've had this conversation and this piece has been continued to be disagreed with. And this is really a core value of ours as a clinic. Like we truly believe in this level of of medicine or this type of um, protection. You know, it's it's having that kind of documentation to help make the judgment call so that it isn't coming from that place of frustration or triggered, right? Like that's where I say, this is part of why I ask the team to really make sure to document not only what does the client agree to, so that you protect yourself, but also when there is a disagreement. And 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 the way that I do that, a lot of people really struggle with like, okay, I don't want to write in the chart that they don't, you know, that they declined it because of 
you know, a lot of times the conversation is, well, they decline it because they don't agree with it or they tell me that, uh, you know, they don't want to give their pet chemicals. It's as simple as asking for their permission to engage in the process. And so what I would say to that client is, you know, Mrs. Smith, what I just heard you say is that you don't want to use the heartworm preventative because you don't want to give fluffy chemicals and have her ingest them. Is that is that correct? And say, okay, I just, you know, I just want to make sure that I am thorough in in keeping track of where we're at with her overall health care. I'm going to make a note in her chart that this is how you are feeling today um, so that when somebody else looks at her chart, they see why we didn't send you home with preventative today. Is that okay? Really, it doesn't have to be this combative thing where we're like, you're wrong, I'm right, and I need to write it down, which is, I think, in the moment where a lot of us come at it from because we're triggered and we're frustrated. But having that stuff written down and the ability to look back at it objectively is super, super helpful in trying to figure out is this the client who just really doesn't agree with heartworm preventative and we're never going to sell them out on, on that idea? And to your point, they accept the vaccines and the dental recommendations and 90% of the other care we're providing. That's probably an okay client that I'm going to keep in my practice. Like I'm not offended by that. But if it is a client where they're disagreeing with 50 or 75% of what we're recommending and why we're recommending it, then maybe it's time to have a conversation about how there might be a better fit for them yeah. somewhere else. No, I completely agree. You know, I think probably about the last point that I would make is um, if I'm dealing with someone who doesn't believe in data, you know, mm-hmm. or, or they're not going to be swayed by the research, um, don't talk to them about data. You know, lean lean into stories. Use stories mm-hmm. and examples and, mm-hmm. and, and lean into the human aspect. So when someone says, well, this is what I worry about and blah, 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 and this is what I think and this is how I feel, blah, 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 um, I, I want to tell them like, hey, I understand that. I, 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 I've had those concerns or I have concerns like that and I hear that. Let me let me tell you about let me tell you about something that I see in practice a lot and, and the reason that I kind of feel the way that I do. And then just tell them the story. You know, mm-hmm. be honest. Always integrity above all else. But be honest and tell them tell them about the case that you saw that went badly this way. And tell them about how often you see pets that aren't flea prevention in South Carolina that are just their their skin is infected and their, mm-hmm. you know, hair has mm-hmm. been pulled out and they're they're they can't sleep and and their owners can't sleep and, and just t- tell them and say this is what I see and, you know and I see these products come in and, and they're not regulated and I, I have to tell you the vast majority of them, they simply don't work and I understand wanting to try it and if you want to try this um mm-hmm. you know then then I'll support you but but know that generally these things fail and the outcome mm-hmm. is uh painful to the pet mm-hmm. and and this is what I mean when I say that and put it back to them you know but um but if they're not going to care about my data mm-hmm. then i'm going to then i'm going to tell them a story or i'm going to give them an example of what i'm talking yeah. about and i can at least put it in their mind to try to help them see what i'm seeing and and i find that that builds a lot of credibility but going going to the data with someone who does not care about your data or who doesn't believe your data and that's the big thing data only works if both people looking at the data believe that there is some credibility to the data itself. I've been yeah. reading this book on uh, Theranos. Uh, you know the Theranos uh, uh-huh. scandal? It's fascinating. I am just blown away by how everyone involved behaved in this in this case. So for those of you who don't know, Theranos is this drug company and they had, they had this technology that was supposed to be a diagnostic piece of technology. Mm-hmm. And so the idea was that people could prick their finger and then just uh, put their finger on a cartridge and pop the cartridge into a little uh, diagnostic box that is at their house. Uh-huh. And it would do a bajillion different kinds of blood work. Uh, uh-huh. it, it was amazing. And uh, the short story is it didn't work and it never worked. And they took so much money for a thing that just did not work. Mm-hmm. And people were, I mean, they, they had cancer patients pricking their fingers. And the results they got were junk. And I mean, it's a shocking, staggering, crazy story. But one of the things that was fascinating, because you go, how could this ever happen? And it was funny because they got all of these validations. And the way they got the validations was they just took data to someone and said, here's our data. And the people were like, oh, this data is really solid. But the data itself was junk. Like Mm -hmm. it was a fantasy. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking a lot about that. So they had these people who looked at the data and said, yep, this data makes sense to me. But they never questioned where the data came from. Right. And so if 
and, and so that's just made me think a lot about when we talk about data, where are where are the headaches? And I think a lot of us look and we say, well, this is the data. Surely you accept the data. And if you accept the data, then this is the conclusion. But these people don't accept the data or where the data came from often. And so that is why I can never have a data conversation that works is because they don't buy into the original data. Right. Uh, and, and 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 unfortunately with Theranos, you can say, well, I kind of, I can, you now have an example of right. why that might be a bad idea. So, right. so you know, I, I, again, humanizing people and trying to meet them where they are and accepting as much as you can, I think is helpful. But using that story, using those examples, leaning mm-hmm. into the human part of it, uh, talking about being a pet owner and talking about the pets and taking care of the pets, that stuff tends to cut across uh, tribes and, you know, um, and media and, and things like that. Everybody wants to take good care of their pet. And so really humanize yourself be transparent, be vulnerable, lean into into taking care of 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 the pet and explaining why you want to take care of the pet and, and agree with everything that you can and validate as much of their position as you can. And I think that those are the best, absolute best tools that we have to work with people who maybe don't agree with what we agree with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the last thing that I have from a action step perspective goes back to um you know, the the original email and like the questions about like, what do I do when they're angry about this? And I, I think that's a, it's a very personal question and what works for each clinic is going to be so different and so individual. But I just, I really want to say like, it is okay if there is something that is a line in the sand for you or for your team. Like, I think letting go of some of the guilt um, that we put on ourselves of feeling like I I exist to serve all of my clients and all of my patients. And if someone doesn't fundamentally agree with me, I still need to take care of their pet. And And I do truly believe that our job is to be here for our patients. And I also am a firm believer that it is okay to put out there as as long as we are clearly communicating those things to your to your point in your stories earlier about our friends you know who who have the clinic who um you know everybody is accepted as they are it is very it is very open-minded it is very liberal practice um their team has uh, tattoos and is brightly colored and um you know comes from every walk of life every size shape and color that kind of diversity, that's who they are. They're doing a great job of mm-hmm. communicating to their client base that that's who they are and that things that go against that are not tolerated. So they yeah. have a very clear policy for their clients about we don't tolerate racism in our practice. We yeah. don't tolerate our team being mistreated based on what they look like or who they are as a person that's unacceptable for us. So I th- I think, or like the face-based practice that you interviewed with, uh, you know, like I think that's that's great because they are communicating that yeah. inwardly and outwardly to, to their clients. And so that's where I think we have to really be okay with letting go of some of that guilt. And if there is something mm-hmm. that is a line in the sand for you and your team, like, you 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 do you right yeah. because your vibe is going to attract your tribe and let me tell you we have seen our friends practice be wildly successful because they're putting out into the world who they are as a people as a vibe and people are flocking to it to your point they're succeeding because of that and i think that it's really important to think about who who are you as a team and that it is okay to say you know i didn't lose any sleep at night I, I did in the in the very beginning because I felt guilty about saying, well, we might not be able to give service or provide care to a patient if they yeah. are not current on their rabies vaccine. That that was really hard for me in the beginning. But now you bet I don't think twice about it and don't lose sleep because I truly believe I am protecting my my patients and my team and that is important to me and the reason that I feel okay with it is because that is communicated from day one when we have clients who come into the practice this is part of our policy this is part of our protocols clients get that information we talk about it from the very beginning it is a regular reoccurring conversation and so I think if there is something that is aligned in the sand, being okay with letting go of that guilt and the the actionable steps there are that you have to be communicating what yeah. and why to your clients loudly and often. <laughs> yeah, 
it, and if, if you struggle with that, I'll tell you my, uh, one of my good friends, uh, Dr. Indu Mani, uh, she is, I'll butcher her title, but basically she's the chief medical officer at Brief Media that publishes mm-hmm. Clinician's Brief. She's mm-hmm. genius. And she is doing a fellowship at Harvard Medical School now in medical ethics. And as part of her program, she wrote this, this paper uh, that was received and and she was told you should publish this and she published it in the New York Daily Post. I, I shared on social media and stuff. But she talks about this uh, ethics principle called moral distress. And so moral distress is when you know what you should do, but you're unable to do it. And that causes a deep ethical uh, pain sure. in us. And so she talks about and she talks about burnout in vet medicine. She says that moral distress seems to play a significant role in that meaning. People, uh, one of the drivers of burnout is that you know what you should do, but you're not able to do it. And when she said that, it was so beautifully encapsulated uh, a lot of the of the burnout sort of emotions that I that I see and that I've gone through in my career. Mm-hmm. Like this whole like I always I, I would always say that, you know, vet medicine is uniquely challenging. But I didn't unpack it a lot more than that because I didn't have the words for it. But when she talked about moral distress, I was like, yes, that's that's the uniquely challenging that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And so when you're saying, I don't know about making this line in the sand. I don't know if I should make this decision or say we're not you know, this is what we require here. I think if you think about the fact that moral distress is real, that might make it easier for you to say, no, this is a line in the sand for us. And it's because I don't want to continue to put my staff in a position where they're going to feel bad about doing these things. And so mm-hmm. and for me, anyway, that that, that was a, a re- it's an interesting concept, but it does help me from a human capital standpoint to justify some hard lines sure. uh, that I make and want to do. So anyway, hey, this is a, 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 a sprawling conversation. You know <laughs> what I mean? The, the topic is so hard yeah. and people are so different, but thanks for, uh, thanks for unpacking it with me and talking through everything. Yeah, I think uh, this was really, really a fun one. Take care, everyone. Have a great week. Yeah, guys, be well. We'll talk to you soon. Well, gang, that's a wrap on another episode of the podcast. And as always, this was so fun to dive into the mailbag and answer this question. And I would really love to see more things like this come through the mailbag. If there is something that you would love to have us talk about on the podcast or a question that you are hoping that we might be able to help with, feel free to reach out and send us a message. You can always find the mailbag at the website. The address is unchartedvet.com forward slash mailbag, or you can email us at podcast at unchartedvet.com. Take care, everybody, and have a great week. We'll see you again next time.